right, and welcome back to uh, this next episode of Unique Insights. This is a program that we're doing that is meant primarily to allow preachers, myself and others, to take some of the things we believe about the Bible that aren't necessarily the commonly taught thing. Or sometimes it's even just taking something that is already kind of believed, but not really taught a lot. And that's what tonight I think is going to be. I think it's one that most of us probably somewhere deep down inside, this is the way we see it, even if we don't realize it. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a little while. Uh, but it's primarily just an opportunity for preachers to take and present some of the things that they believe about the Bible that sometimes it's stuff you're not necessarily dogmatic about. Sometimes it's stuff that you just don't see a lot of other people talking about and you just want to talk about it and present it uh, because you have something there that is unique and something that's interesting you want to share with other people. Uh, it's not something that we do to argue or anything like that. It's actually an opportunity uh, to do it. I mean, there is a grading system. And in the end, uh, Brother Hoffman is going to grade what I'm presenting tonight and tell me whether he thinks it's sound doctrine or not. Uh, but uh, that's more so just for the entertainment of everything. Uh, but it's an opportunity for me to present some ideas to him throughout the lesson. If he has a question, he's welcome to interrupt me and ask that question. If not, at the very end, then he'll come in with any insights or any thoughts he has. You know, if there's anything, you know, discrepancies he sees with it or issues uh, and so forth. Uh, I'll try to keep it fairly simple. I don't I love to talk about prophecy. I'm not as quick to do it with a lot of preachers because just as me and Brother Hoffman were talking about, not everybody can do it. Uh, but let me, even before I introduce what we're going to be talking about, introduce my guest, Brother Brent Hoffman. Mm -hmm. Brother Hoffman at this point is, I think he has to be on salary. I don't know. I don't get paid anything for doing this, so I'm not sure how I'm going to pay him. But uh, at this point, between the Bible challenges and this, it's uh, just as much his channel as it is mine. Uh, so I appreciate Brother Hoffman joining us, uh, but everybody will know Brother Hoffman by now uh, because he you see his face on here about as much as you do mine anymore. Uh, but uh, anyways, I really do appreciate him taking time out. He has a very busy point in his schedule right now as he's getting ready to, to make a special trip, just something the missionaries have to do to go back to the States for a little while. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I appreciate him taking the time to fit this in, in addition to recording one of the episodes for the Bible Challenge as well. Uh, so with that said, we are going to be talking prophecy tonight. We're going to be specifically looking at the 24 elders, or as the Bible says, the 4 and 20 elders. The reason I chose to focus on them specifically is because it's one of those subjects that I think what you believe about it matters. Uh, because it has the potential to dramatically affect your doctrine concerning prophecy. However, it's not one of those things where somebody's going to be able to come and be truly dogmatic and, you know, part ways. And we're not allowed to be friends anymore if you disagree with me on this kind of thing. Uh, so that's why I've chosen this one, because I have some pretty strong beliefs about prophecy in general. Uh, I mean, I am. I, I check right on everything. You know, I am pre-chair, I am pre-millennial. I check right. But certain things I see. Uh, especially like how you should read the book of Revelation and so forth. I know that I'm probably a little bit controversial on my stance and some of that. Uh, and so I've done videos. If you want to know my belief about the timeline of the tribulation period, which would show you somewhat, I believe, about Revelation as a whole. Uh, there's literally a video called the timeline of the tribulation on our uh, channel. And it is a... Uh, it's a slideshow, so it's a little more interesting than just watching me talk about it for a while. But uh, anyways, with that said, we are going to be talking about the 4 and 20 elders. So most of our verses are going to come from Revelation, looking at what the Bible says about them. Because what I'm presenting is who are the 4 and 20 elders? Uh, this is always to some degree with the question. I mean, the first one we did was... Was Gehazi one of the uh, lepers from Second Kings uh, seven? And then 
The next one was uh, was the letter of Third John written to reach the church at Ephesus. This one is, and just to be honest, I'll go ahead and spoil one thing right out the gate. The question we're asking uh, is, are the tw- four and twenty elders a representation of all saints, Old and New Testament, up to that point? Uh, all of, I, let me say, the raptured believers. Uh, that's because that is what I believe about them. And if I've already lost you by making that statement, then maybe it's better. Um, but I want to give you that. And then I hope you'll bear with me and hear why I believe that, because I actually do have a lot of Bible reasons for it. It's not opinion. Uh, it's really just looking at what the Bible says about them, uh, because I will give myself this much of an introduction to my thoughts about prophecy. I took several years ago because I was dealing with uh, some friends who had went uh, mid-tribulation concerning rapture. I was dealing with some believers who were as well. And so for me, it was one of those things. It's okay. I I mean, in Bible college, you just automatically dismiss a lot of that stuff without talking about it. So I'll listen to what you have to say. And then I decided to sit down and do a in-depth study of prophecy and intentionally try to throw away anything I had ever learned in Bible college or any of that kind of stuff so that I wouldn't be bringing my opinions into this. Uh, I was going into it as if I was somebody who had no dog in the fight, you know, that uh, whichever way I come out of this, whatever I believe, it's fine. You know, just let me see what the Bible says. I I did my very best. Obviously you're always going to have some preconceived notions and biases. You can't put everything aside, but I did my best to get rid of all of that. And I just, I sat down, I poured through revelation over and over again, made notes, charts, all this kind of stuff, trying to reconcile everything. And then I didn't just stop there. And this is where I think most people fail with revelation as they stop there, or maybe they'll compare it to some stuff in the new Testament. But I went back and I poured through Isaiah. I've, and, also, they'll do Daniel. I poured through Daniel. I poured through any book I could find that was talking about prophecy. Uh, I went through them over and over and over again, uh, comparing. And I would write down major events, and I'd write down which verses mentioned these major events, and again, make charts and timelines and all this kind of stuff to try to understand it better uh, so that I look like one of those crazy people you see in the movies with the chart all over the wall and the strings drawn around. (laughs) Only thing was mine wasn't on the wall. It was all in my desk. Uh, But I went through and I filled up notebooks with notes on all that stuff. Uh, And then I come out on the other side with some pretty strong beliefs about it. However, I've always been the kind of person I don't mind if somebody disagrees with me. I just like to talk with people and explain to them why I believe some things I do. And I think that's why me and Brother Hoffman get along, because he doesn't mind if if he disagrees with me or anybody else either. Uh, He just likes to talk about the Bible. Uh, So I appreciate that. Now, with that said, I'm going to go to Revelation 4 uh, and verse 4. And this is our introduction to these characters. It says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, uh, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, this is our introduction to them. And it would be easy to read this and dismiss everything I just said because he says there's 24 of them. And surely there's more than 24 people saved throughout uh, history. However, I'll show you in a minute why I don't believe 24 is a literal number for them. I believe it's a representative of something uh, in the same way that, to be honest, there's a lot of things in Revelation where numbers are meant to be pictures of something, meant to point you to something else. Uh, And so they're major characters. And that's why a lot of people dismiss them and just immediately 
brush over them. I remember I was listening as I was giving some of the mid-trip guys a chance to tell me what they believe about stuff. Uh, I decided to listen to Kent Hovind because I thought, okay, if anybody who went that way uh, is going to give a good presentation, it's him because in the past he was always an intelligent preacher. And that's before he's had personal problems and life issues and all this kind of stuff uh, was my opinion. Um, and at that time I didn't know about all that stuff. So when I found out he had become a mid-trib guy, or actually he has a different title for it, but whatever they call it, it's still mid-trib. When he became that kind of guy, uh, I gave him a chance to listen. And I listened to like the first two of his videos he did on it. And when I got to the third one and he got to the four and 20 elders and he said, others, I mean, I spent 10 years in prison studying these guys, but I don't actually know who they are and it doesn't really matter. And I don't care. Uh, and then just completely dismissed them and didn't say anything else about them. I also completely dismissed his videos and didn't watch any more of them uh, because these are pretty big characters. Like, I mean, they're mentioned several times. Every time we're getting a view of heaven, they're pretty much always mentioned uh, because they are major players in that side of revelation, because you understand part of the the book of revelation as you're reading through it is taking place from heaven, giving you the perspective of what's going on there. It's all these major events are playing out and the four and 20 elders are big characters in that part uh, mentioned more than most. So I want to go through and just glean a couple things about the first things we know about them, because there is a principle in the way that most of us would say you should interpret scripture. And that is especially when you're talking about within the same book, If you see a word mentioned, you should probably go back and look at the last time this thing was mentioned uh, or even sometimes the next time it was mentioned. But I believe that even sometimes going from book to book, because I do believe God's the author of all scripture. But especially when we're talking about something in the same book and we're talking about one chapter ago or two chapters ago, uh, when you see God talking about the same idea. So I say that because what we know about them at this point is that they're sitting in thrones around the throne of uh, Christ. Uh, And then we see also that not only sitting on thrones, but they're clothed in white raiment uh, and they have on their head uh, crowns of gold. So where do we see these things talked about previously? So I think the thrones are the first one to mention since it's what's mentioned there in the verse first. Uh, And so for that, we'll go back to Revelation 3 and verse 21, talking about the church of Laodicea. He says to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, uh, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So he's giving a comparison to this church, the overcoming. And I do believe overcoming uh, speaks to an idea of eternal life. And I'll do maybe another video on this at another time, uh, because I actually think I can answer the question, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror if I do that one? Uh, But with that idea, he's talking to them and offering them this, that they can set and set with him in his throne the same way that he sets in his father's throne. What's the same way he sets? He sets at the right hand of his father. How do they set in thrones around his throne? So he sets in his throne at the right hand of his father. They set in their thrones around his throne. Uh, To me, I think that's a very interesting picture when you look at it that way, that you're seeing even an understanding of what he means to lay out a seat when he says, you can sit with me in my throne. Uh, It's a very similar idea there. Uh, Then you have, of course, the white raiment, Uh, which is also something I think I want to do another one of these videos just on that uh, because I have a belief of maybe something that that pictures. Uh, But Revelation 3.18, I'll go to since we're already there, uh, also talking to the church of Laodicea. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. So, 
you have this idea that white raiment is something that should be associated with the churches and with, uh, I believe, to some degree, their everlasting life and so forth. Uh, just as I say, the term overcoming, I think, should refer to that to some degree. Uh, and then, sorry, I moved to chapter two and chapter three also. And in verse five this time, mm-hmm. uh, talking to the church of Sardis, he says, he that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name uh, out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So we have two things already that God has specifically identified with the four and 20 elders that he has also drawn your attention to and specifically identified uh, with the churches. Now, the reason why that matters is one white raiment is only mentioned in this kind of, I think there's only three verses and all three of them are the ones we just talked about. Uh, I mean, it's something that white raiment is only used talking about the churches and it's used in cross revelation. Uh, you know, you'll see white robes used to talk about, for example, the the unnumberable multitude that's brought up in chapter seven and so forth. But white raiment, which I understand, raiment, raiment robes, synonymous words, but God's specific in why he chooses words. And I do believe there's a reason for that as well. Uh, but as you look at the raiment, you do see that he's drawing your eyes back to the churches. There's no I don't think there's any way we can deny that. Then as you go to. Uh, since we'll stay in chapter three uh, for this one, uh, this time looking at the church of Philadelphia, three chapter three, verse 11. This one's about the crown because he also says they have crowns. He says, behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. So like the elders, they have crowns. Uh, we see also the thrones are associated with the churches, the white raiment. Another one about the crowns would be chapter two and verse 10 to the church of Smyrna. Uh, it says, fear none of these things uh, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation 10 days. But uh, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. So at this point, the thing I'm trying to establish is that what we know about these four and 20 elders is if you've read Revelation at this point, the same things you know about the churches. Uh, I mean, at this point, most of the promises he's making to the church, or, you know, a considerable portion of the promises he's making to the churches, he's saying, if you overcome, uh, are promises that he's also making, uh, or things he's stating that the four and 20 elders have. Uh, so there has to be a connection between the two. If if it was another book and you said, I, okay, I don't see any connection, I would, and I'm not specifically targeting you, this brother Hoffman, I'm speaking in general to everybody, but if it's another book and somebody was to say that I don't, uh, I don't buy it. You know, I don't see the connection. That's one thing. But when it's literally, you know, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, uh, I don't know how we can just ignore that. You don't have to come to the same conclusion I'm going to come to, but I don't see how you could just ignore it. It has to have some degree of connection. Uh, even I'll point out that if you read continuing in chapter four and dropping down to verse 10, uh, that you'll note that it says the four and 20 elders fall down uh, before him and sat on that sat on the throne and worship him uh, that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, I only point that out because this is why I say I think most people deep down would have to believe at least in some part what I'm saying about them that I do believe they're representatives of all the Old and New Testament saints prior to the rapture. 
and the reason why I say people would have to believe that to some degree is because I've never met anybody who didn't believe that the crown of the believer isn't going to be thrown down at the feet of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody says, you know, we sing songs about throwing our, casting our crowns down at his feet uh, and so forth. And if you don't believe it from this, I don't know where you're going to believe it from. You know, if you don't believe this is you doing it. Um, so now saying that, then there are some other things that need to be considered about them. Let's move over into Revelation chapter five this time. Uh, this time in chapter five, picking up in verse eight, it says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts uh, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are were the which are the prayers of the saints. Now, the way that's phrased makes it complicated. It makes it feel like there's something really big and interesting going on there in the same way you see a lot of stuff in Revelation. I mean, like you see people pouring out vials and stuff and all these things. Um, And to me, the main thing I take away from that verse is that they are offering up both praise because they're about to break out in songs. So I think the harps speak to that, uh, offering up praise and prayer to the Lord, uh, which are things that, we as believers can do. Uh, I don't know that there has to be more. I think obviously there should be something more deeper there, but in terms of defining who these people are, I don't know that there's anything more deep than that. Uh, I mean, if you really want to dig down to what is the golden vial, what is associated with prayer? I think it's, you know, offering up our prayers to him as an offering uh, is what I really think it comes down to. I mean, you have the offerings you pour out and so forth. Uh, and so even prayer, I believe there's some verses that speak to it in that sense as well uh, as being poured out unto God. Uh, so for me, I don't think it's more something that negates or complicates the issue. I think it's really a matter. This would be the one verse that I think somebody could try to use to, you know, say, okay, what's this? But in general, I do think it's really just the saints offering up their prayers uh, and also having the harps that they're getting ready to praise him with. Now, here's where it gets really interesting for anyone, because for anyone watching who doesn't know, as far as I'm aware, most of the general beliefs, I've heard some people that like Kent Hovind being one of them, maybe even uh, some other people within his movement uh, that he's kind of a part of. I've heard them mention somewhere. One of them has mentioned they believe these to be angels. Now that's impossible with what I'm about to show you. Some people uh, also one person within that movement uh, believes this to be just 24 random people, just you know, 24 guys, some of them from the Old Testament, some of them from the New Testament, but just 24 random guys. Uh, and then there are some, I think, that probably hold to the idea that this would be, you know, 12, you know, representing the tribes of Israel and then 12 representing the church. And when some people take it so far as to say the apostles and them, uh, and then, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, the patriarchs of that, the problem you're going to get to, it's going to have you scratch your head on that is, is John looking at himself thinks John's one of the apostles. So, uh, you know, it doesn't, there's certain things that don't add up there. So the angels I can disprove just like that in just a moment, 24 random guys. I think I can disprove just like that. And the, also the same thing about if you think it's these specific 12 and these specific 12, I can disprove for the same reasons. Uh, and it matters what you what you believe on this. And I'll say this because, for example, when I mentioned having talking to some guys who are in the mid-trip camp and so forth, one of the reasons why this passage matters so much to me is because I sat down to talk with one of them who I consider to be an incredibly intelligent guy, one of the finest preachers I've ever met before he went that direction, before he got off into this, really it's a cult that I'm trying not to call by name, but maybe I should. Um, but before he got off into this, uh, he was one of the best preachers I'd ever met. So I, that's why I gave him the opportunity to talk to him. And when I present it to him, what I'm presenting to you now 
he just told me straightforward and honest. He said, I can't believe that because if so, that's the the silver bullet, you know, the smoking gun right. that destroys my whole religion. It's like, that does, that's not a reason not to believe it. Right. Uh, and so once I once we got to talking and uh, there were some questions raised, he just, uh, to be honest, he told me I was stupid a few times and hung up on the phone. Uh, <laughs> that's what it came down to. But it is something that does affect your doctrine. And this is why, because once you start trying to figure out who they are, it does set certain things in its place. If they're the church, if this is the church, then it means prior to opening revelation chapter four, the rapture has already taken place, which fits with the idea that the, no man knows the day or the hour. And that even, I believe the proper interpretation of Matthew 24 does not include the rapture in it, that you're looking at things after the rapture has already taken place there as well. Uh, because his answer to the rapture, the question of when it will be is no man knows the day or the hour. They'll come as a thief in the night that the answer he's giving in Matthew 24, that most people focus on about, the events that are going to happen are actually the build up to the second coming of Christ. Uh, so whole nother issue. Don't, don't count that against my, don't grade me negative if you disagree on that. <laughs> uh, but the idea though, is that if this is the church, then you have the definitive proof that it has to be a pre-trib rapture because this is before any of the major events of the tribulation are taking place. Uh, this would have to be day one, you know, that the church has been called up and now we're getting ready to start opening seals and start business, you know, mm -hmm. chapter four and chapter five and so forth. So anyways, sorry, I'm getting long winded on this one. Uh, chapter five and verse eight says, and when he had taken the book, the four uh, beasts and the four and 20 elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of the odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, uh, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred uh, and tongue and people and nation. So there's two very important things in that verse. One is they're redeemed. Mm -hmm. So because the way that's written doesn't mean that the el that the four beasts were singing at that point, but it does mean the four and twenty elders have to be singing at that point. Uh, and the four and twenty elders are singing, "You have redeemed us." So the answer that I was given to try to say this wasn't the church uh, was that, well, you know, they're just singing figuratively. You know, they're just singing a song. It'd be like the angels picking up our hymnal and singing Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. Uh, but at the end of the day, we always believe we're going to sing this song in heaven. We say the church is going to sing this new song in heaven. Well, you have to believe that this is the church to believe that uh, because this is the people who are singing. They're the four and 20 elders. Uh, they're the ones singing this song. And, you know, thou hast redeemed us out of every kindred and every uh, tongue and people and nation. So your first issue is the issue of redemption, that the only people who could be singing the song of redemption at this point are safe people. It's saints. Now, whether you believe it's a huge number or just a fixed amount still has to be saints to be able to sing that. Uh, and it's very clear that it's not that you have redeemed people. It's you've redeemed us. So they're singing this as redeemed people. But then also you have the statement uh, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. You cannot have 24 people represent every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. There's nations that have more than uh, a thousand tongues just in that one country, uh, much less can 24 represent every language spoken in, in the entirety of the world in history to that point. Uh, you can't have that. So at this point, you know it can't be that it's literal 24 people. Now I'm going to show you more reasons why I believe it can't be a literal 24 people, but you already have that establishing that it cannot be. 
because how can 24 people be redeemed out of every kindred tongue nation and uh, uh, every kindred tongue nation and uh, people? Uh, it's impossible. Uh, it, you cannot have it. So at that point, you already see that the number 24 has to be figured. If it can't be a, a fixed number, that's representing who they are. And I'll explain what I believe that represents as we get there also. Uh and then it says in verse 10, uh, and thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So these are people who are kings and priests and shall reign on the earth. Well, we know according to 1 Peter 2, 9, we are a royal priesthood. We know according to 2 Timothy 2, 12, that if we shall suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. And so these are things that are very much spoken to about the church. Uh, throughout the throughout the Bible, these are things that are promised to us directly uh, to be that royal priesthood, you know, kings and priests, uh, and then also to reign with Him. Uh, both of those are promises made to the church uh, directly. Now, I will note though that the kings and priests is also a promise made to Israel. It's not uniquely to the church. God also told Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, that the ones of them who would actually believe him and not just be part of the nation, but would actually put their faith in him, he would also make them uh, a nation of kings and priests. Uh, so it's not a unique promise to the church. It's actually a promise that runs throughout the entirety of the Bible to all saints. Uh, so, yeah. In order, to, in order to counter that, though, um, you have your blood of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. So that kind of disproves it's not just the Jews there. That's good. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh because I have my reason, I probably have that somewhere in notes. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole stack, uh, but I'm glad you mentioned it because it's something that does need to be said. It, it yep. is, uh, it can't be just Israel, it has to involve the church because mm -hmm. of that. In fact, you could more easily write out Israel out of this than you could the church, right. but you still got to include somebody from Israel because you got to have every, right. uh, but no, I, I really, that's I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because that should have been in my notes. Uh, mm -hmm. it should for sure be there. Uh, then in verse 11, this is where the numbers come into play. Verse 11 says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, there is two ways you can read this verse. One is you can read it that he's saying the number of the angels and the beast and the elders and all this stuff is this number. But also the way that's written could mean that the number of the elders specifically would be the ten thousands of thousands uh, mm -hmm. and, and the 10,000 times 10,000 thousands of thousands. So there's two hurdles you get to. One is I personally I have verses that identify that this number has to be identified with saints. Uh, one would be uh, Daniel 710 where uh, there for the let for a couple verses, maybe about four verses, one before it and you know, two after it. Uh, he's talking about the second coming of Christ and he's mentioning 10,000 saints coming with him at that point. Uh, but the bigger one is Jude 114 where he's talking about and he says that Enoch prophesied that Christ would come back with tens of thousands of his saints. Uh, so that's the bigger one for me would be Jude because. Daniel and prophecy, you can always argue it's not a smoking gun, let's say, in the way I'd like for it to be. But that statement in Jude that he's going to come back with tens of thousands of his saints, uh, that's a one yes. that's a little bit hard to just ignore. Yes. Um, so anyways, you have that. But the other thing is just the way the number 10,000 is used in the Bible. So I give you those two to show that that number is associated with the saints, not the angels and all this other stuff. Uh, so 
I, I do believe because the way it's written, like for example, there's a point in Colossians where he gives a list of sins, and when he gets to covetousness, he has the colon like that, and then it says which is idolatry. And we always read that and understand that that not the whole list is idolatry, but that covetousness is idolatry. So I would read this same list with that same understanding that the number of the saint of the twenty four elders is ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. I say for that reason and then also for the reason that that number is associated in at least two passages uh with the saints that will be coming back with him when he comes back at the second coming um now saying that then there's the obstacle of are you then trying to say that the number of everyone ever saved throughout all of history up to that point is ten thousand times ten thousand and the answer is no i'm not trying to say that uh it's not even that that's their way of expressing. And this I'll give that somebody called me out on this when I was in the early part of studying this and still trying. And the, the same guy who told me I'm stupid, I'm stupid, I'm stupid. Uh, instead of trying to help me uh, in the way that Brother Hoffman uh, seems to be doing already, this guy just wanted to uh, you know, try to push away what I believe. Yeah. But when we were talking, I, I was still trying to wrap my mind of why, why that number. I mean, I, I can understand that it's a figurative number in some degree, but why? Uh, and for me, I thought, okay, well, maybe that's the the way because we understand numbers like billion and trillion and stuff haven't always existed. So I thought maybe that's the best way they could express it. But they actually ex have a higher form of expression. There's a point where they're praying, I believe, for Rachel, and they're praying that you know her children, that God will bless her, that her children will be you know hundreds of thousands of times hundreds or millions or whatever. But it's a much larger number than this. Um, the thing about ten thousand, though, is that ten thousand in the Bible is actually a very commonly used figurative number. In fact, I think it's used forty-one times, uh, and that's without any searching for any variables. Uh, that's just straight plugging in the word ten thousand. Uh, forty-one times the number ten thousand is used in the Bible, uh, and of any numbers that people try to uh, ascribe numerology purposes to, this is actually one of the easiest ones to come to the conclusion of. In fact, actually, if we use the law of first mention, the very first time it's used will tell us what this number means to God. Uh, the very first time it's ever used is Leviticus uh, twenty-six eight, when he's saying that five of you will chase away hundred, and a hundred of you will chase away ten thousand. The next time it's used is when he's saying one of you will chase away a thousand and two of you will chase away ten thousand. Uh, the very next passage where you find it used. So most of the time that the number ten, in fact, I can actually say this definitively. Every time the number ten thousand is used in the Bible, that it's not specifically saying you know, that this man had an army of ten thousand five hundred and thirty people or something like that, where it's clear. OK, I mean, he's getting specific. This is actual number. Every other time that the number 10,000 is used in the Bible, it's very clearly a figurative number. You know, he's not saying that 100 of you can chase away 10,000, but if it's 10,001, then you know, it's not going to work. You know, if it's uh, 9,999, oh, man, you're just out of luck. You know, it has to be exactly 10,000. Uh, it's a figurative number to just get your mind to realize that this is bigger than you can associate. Uh, and I, I think I finally come to that revelation when they had an event here not far from my house and they had 5,000 people packed into one area well before coronavirus stuff. Uh, but they had 5,000 people packed in one area. And it was just something that once you stepped into that area, you could not comprehend how many people there were anymore. You, you just could, it's beyond your comprehension. Whether it was 10,000, 5,000, 7,000, didn't matter. Once it got that big of a number, it was just you couldn't you couldn't comprehend it anymore. It's just like a blur. Uh, you couldn't even hardly comprehend what people, you know, 20, 30 meters in front of you were doing. Uh, and so I do believe that's what the number is for God. And it's not something I just have to say I do believe. I mean, if you disagree, if you want to see it for yourself, just type in 10,000 in a search, see what it says about it. Every time it's not a, a clearly very specific number, 
uh, it's always being used to define this idea of you can do something, you know, you can chase away this army bigger than you could ever imagine. Two, two are going to chase away 10,000. A hundred are going to chase away 10,000. Because to God, it's a number that he goes to, because uh, I think we all have those hyperbolous numbers we use. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to say, uh, like I tell my kids sometimes when they're bad, I say, if you don't stop, if you do that, I'm going to spank you 7,000 times. <laughs> 7,000. That's my hyperbolous number. You know, it's uh, when I, and of course, when I say 7,000, they know I'm joking. If I say 100, they know I'm serious. Uh, if I say I'm going to spank you 100 times, they know I'm actually mad and I'm really going to give them some spankings. Uh, probably not actually 100, but some spankings. But if I say I'm going to spank you a thousand, you know, seven thousand times, they laugh and they know I'm joking. I'm not serious about it. Uh, and so you see, numbers have that even with us. It's not a strange concept. Uh, but that's how the number ten thousand is used. So when he says ten thousand times ten thousand, essentially what he's saying is, you know, an infinite, you know, an unmeasurable amount times an unmeasurable amount. Uh, and that's even, I mean, actually, you probably already thought about this, Brother Hoffman, is when we sing Amazing Grace and we get to that last verse, when we've been there ten thousand years, and actually what you mean. Uh, that's the whole point of what we're singing in that passage. Uh, all right. So that's the main part of what I want to bring out is up to that. The only other things I want to bring out about them before you can tell me whether I get a passing grade in this or not, uh, is there other two mentions in the, um, book of revelation. And then I'll explain what I think the 24 is about. In fact, now's a good time. Let me say what I think the 24 is about. Since we are saying that there is a, a typology and there is a thing that numbers can represent for me, the 24, I really do believe represents something very simple. If you look through the Bible and ask, when is there ever something that's numbered as 24, any other time in the Bible, there's only like two or three times in the Bible. One of those is highly questionable. It's you kind of dividing stuff up yourself and making it 24. But there's one where it's absolutely no questions asked 24. Uh, and that would be First uh, Chronicles 23 and 24. And I'm not going to read the chapters, but it's First Chronicles 23 and 24 where you have the divisions of the priesthood, uh, where they're divided into 24 uh, groups, you know, 24 orders. So to me, the 24 is to picture that they are priests and kings of their Lord, something they noted themselves. They brought that out about themselves, that we are priests and kings. To me, it is, you know, they already got crowns, you already, they're already on thrones, you already have the the royalty of it all represented, the, you know, the kingliness of it all. The fact that they then are 24, I think, represents the priesthood, you know, that, that you have the, let's say the 24 courses of the priesthood, so to speak, uh, being represented there before everything. Uh, and I think that really just comes down to the idea is that, as they said in their own words, we are priests and kings. Um, and that is very important to us. I mean, especially like as Baptists, you know, we believe very strongly in the priesthood of the believers. So the priesthood is not a small thing to be associated with Christianity or with the church, I should say, and with the saints, uh, even of the Old Testament. Uh Okay, and then the other two references I said I would give to them, and then I can uh, wrap up my thoughts, is Revelation 7, 9 through 11. It says, And after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes uh, and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell uh, fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. And maybe I need to read a little bit more uh, or go back earlier. But the question is asked of uh, 
of who are oh, here it is verse 14 mm-hmm. uh or i start in verse 13 and one of the elders answered saying unto me uh what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they and in verse 14 it says and i said unto him sir thou knowest and he said to me these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb so the reason I bring this up is one is you could actually do a whole lesson of just making the contrast between these two to see mm-hmm. that he's actually saying almost the same exact thing. A number, a multitude, which cannot be numbered 10,000 times 10,000 white robes, white raiment, you know, back and forth. You see a lot of the same things being said about them. Uh, but the one thing that's different about them is where they come from. The four and 20 elders are already there. I mean, that's who he's talking to. He's talking to one of the elders at this point. Uh, and so the questions asked, well, then where do these people come from? And, you know, John says, okay, you know, and then the elder speaks up and says, yes, they're the ones who come out of the tri- you know, tribulation have been washed in the blood of the lamb. So these are tribulation saints is the way most people would read that. I'm obviously there's some people who disagree with that. I'm not doing a lesson on who the multitude that cannot be numbered is. So I'm not going to take time on that one. But the one thing we do know is that most of us are going to believe then that they cannot be tribulation saints. These must be believers from a different time period. Uh, These are believers who have all kinds of things that are promised to the saints. Uh, So much, everything about them is this is saints. This is saints. This is saints. Uh, But the one thing it can't be is tribulation saints because you have a whole nother people group representing, representing tribulation saints here. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last one, I actually don't even have to read. You can read it, whoever's watching in their own time later on. Uh, and that's Revelation 19 verses, let's say, 4 through 9, uh, where it's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, and in that passage, it doesn't clearly define their role in the marriage supper of the Lamb, but the four and 20 elders are part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, so to me, that would mean that they have to be part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Doesn't specifically come and say, okay, this is the bride of Christ or anything like that. You know, if that if it said something like that, then it, we wouldn't have had to have this whole lesson. You know, it would have been one of those kind of smoke gun things. But the fact that they're there, they're present, and they're active in it means that they are part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's my thoughts on them. Uh, that at this point, like I say, I see their numbers and all you know what they have and all this stuff are all things that point to them being. You know, being the saints, uh, as you greatly pointed out, it can't just be Old Testament saints because every tribe, nation, and so forth. Uh, there are things that are associated specifically to the church with them. Uh, and then for anybody who's going to say, okay, well, then I just believe it's the New Testament saints. We actually, me and Brother Hoffman, were talking about an entirely separate thought that answers that question. And that's that if these are the people who were raptured, you have to believe that and I know there's going to be people who disagree with me, and I'll be glad to talk it out with them and show them why. But you have to believe that the Old Testament saints are raptured with the New Testament saints if you really take the Bible at its word. And the reason for that is there's only two times wherein you see uh, saints being given their glorified body, where you see the resurrection of saints. Now, there's a whole other resurrection at the end of things for those uh, being resurrected in the condemnation. You know, it's a whole other issue. Mm-hmm. But for saints, there's only two. And one of those is Revelation 20, I would say, uh, or 21, wherein you have just before the uh, millennial reign of Christ, he says, and this is the resurrection unto life, as you see those who are part of the tribulation period receiving their glorified bodies. And then you have uh, the, uh, the rapture. That's the only other time where you see a, a resurrection unto life uh, is the rapture and the end of the tribulation period uh, just before entering into the millennial reign of Christ. So you 
I guess what I'm trying to say is if you try to say that this group doesn't include uh, Old Testament saints, then you have an issue because the ones who get their glorified body in Revelation 2021, 20, whichever place that is, uh, that's specifically mentioned as being tribulation saints. Uh, and so you run into a situation where you either say Old Testament saints never get a glorified body or mm -hmm. God forgot to list them when he was mentioning who gets a glorified body in that passage. Uh, so you run into an issue where it has to be a combination of the church and the Old Testament saints, uh, both New and Old Testament. I mean, we're grafted into their promise anyway, so I don't know why we think we should get special treatment. in. Uh, but uh, we understand that it has to be a representative of both if you believe that saints uh, if you don't believe it's just 24 random people or so forth, uh, you walk away from everything I said and still believe that, then so be it. But, uh, you know, that's why I come to the conclusion that I have. It's one that I do believe probably had to be held predominantly throughout Baptist history, at least because so much of what we sing and believe requires that you believe that. Because otherwise, why do you believe you're going to cast your crowns at his feet? Uh, you know, why do you believe you're going to sing the new song? You know, why do you believe you're going to do a lot of these things when it says the 24 elders are going to do it? So the thing I've noted, though, is that like in Bible college, a lot of times they'll say, well, we don't really know. Uh, or, you know, a lot of preachers, I don't really know. Uh, so that's why I wanted to do a study on this is because it's something I think we can know and we probably should know because it does affect our doctrine. Because if this is the Old and New Testament saints, and that means prior to Revelation 4 having opened, the rapture's already taking place. And that's why they're sitting there already ready to go when the, you know, when the, when the chapter gets going. Evidences. The elders are listed as having things associated with the church, in the book of Revelation, such as, crowns, white raiment, and thrones. They are called priests and kings of our Lord, with the number 24 symbolizing the 24 divisions of priests in the Old Testament. They are made up of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, with their actual number being one that is innumerable. They are redeemed by the blood of Christ, and are the only characters in heaven, capable of representing the saints, in the book of Revelation. All right, with that said, I've given my argument, I've pleaded my case. Uh, Brother Hoffman can come in and give me his notes, and then he, uh, when he's ready, he can give me his grade of whether I'm a, a heretic or whatever he wants to grade me as. Well, first of all, I'm not a British Israelite, so I don't believe that we take all the, the Jews' promises, right? <laughs> I'm not one of those. Uh, I think it's really good. Well, I was kind of predisposed to to what you were saying anyway before. I thought we had never discussed it, but I was very strongly on that same argument, same line of thinking as you do. And like in Re Revelation 5, 8 says, redeemed us. Uh, God's very specific in his words. He doesn't put things in the Bible like, oh, doesn't, oh, wow, look at that. It actually worked out. No, God is very specific in his words. And you had said maybe God had forgotten to add something. I don't think God's up in heaven saying, oh, no. I forgot to add that there. <laughs> Can I go back and revise history? No, so I like Revelation 5, 8, that redeemed us. Um, it's very, very specific. And God is a very specific God with his numbers, with his words. And, yeah, like you said in Revelation 3 there, with the white raiment, the crowns, um, what else we have? The white, sitting on thrones. <clears throat> I think it just makes too much sense not to, to think it's to, to think it's someone else. It, it just, there's too much. God gives us uh, so many clues. And like you had said before, many preachers say, you know, I don't know. And even Ken Hovind's like, I don't know. Um, either one, you're lazy, or two, you don't want to change your beliefs. But if you're going to be a good Bible-believing Christian, don't you can't. If you're going to be a Bible-believing Christian, you can't make the Bible fit your doctrine. <laughs> so you make your doctrine fit the Bible. Isn't that right? I mean, you know, I can't go with the predisposed idea and say, hey, I think this is it. 
and you see a verse like you 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 mentioned your friend and said and said I can't change that because it ruined my doctrine. Um, my doctrine is not more important than the Bible doc. The doc Bible doctrine is more important than mine. My dad always taught us taught us growing up: don't make your beliefs fit the Bible. Bible. Make, or no, he said, don't make your don't make the Bible fit your beliefs. Make your beliefs fit the Bible, and that's something he's ingrained in me. And uh, so, yes, I, I give you a passing grade. I give you not a heretic, a heretic at all. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so on a scale of uh, almost persuaded to sound doctrine, that's uh, oh, I go sound doctrine definitely. Okay, sound Yes. There's there's lower grades than that, but since you said okay. it was passing, I just okay. uh, <laughs> it's like on a bell curve. No, but I, actually, I liked I liked your uh, I liked your representation. Your number twenty four. That I had not thought that that's something that, and it's funny because I just read that in my devotions today was First um, Chronicles, and you know you kind of speed read through Chronicles because it's kind of boring. <laughs> but I just read that today, and like, oh, that's something you said twenty four First Chronicles. It's like. Wow, I just heard that this morning. So I found that actually that I never thought that before. So I well, I don't something. I don't know that it's emphasized enough to really draw attention. It's something you actually have to actively seek out the number twenty four right. to think of. Well, I mean we we know the kings with the crowns, but the priest part just really just ties it all together and puts a nice bow on it, I think. Mm-hmm. With this priest part. And it's kind of weird because I was even when I always read through first chronicles, I'm like, why twenty four? There's twelve months in a year. And I, I always thought that was really weird that they had twenty four for twelve months, but no, it's really, I really like that. All right. Well, I appreciate that then. It's, uh, the, the other things I guess people could do with number 24, which I didn't go into because it was not as pertinent to me uh, to do that, is that, I mean, there is, of course, possibly that the 24 does have some picture of, you know, that you had, because actually the number 12, I know people debate of what it means, but m- more often than not, I think more that you see the number 12, it's usually associated with kings or some kind of leadership okay. to degree. Uh, I mean, for example, I think the 12 sons of uh, Esau, I want to guess who I'm trying to think of, because it was, I mean, I, we know Jacob, but I, there was actually somebody else who had 12 sons besides just Jacob, uh, that they're called princess uh, at one point, it's like the 12 princes. Uh, and then also, of course, you know, with Jacob's sons, they're referred to like royalty at different points with the 12 of them. Uh, the 12 apostles uh, have never outright called royalty that I can think of, but, you know, they have a similar phrasing and terminology right. to it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, there is the fact that we are priests and kings. I mean, God does call us a royal priesthood. But there is that, that the number 12 has a very heavy picture of uh, royalty to it. it. Whether you believe that's what it represents or not, it's certainly connected to it. Uh, and then you multiply it by two, you get 24. Uh, so you have the old and new Testament, you know, there's a lot of ways that's the, that's the problem though with numerology. Why I don't like to get into it is cause then you can start, Oh, you know, three times seven is this, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, <laughs> a lot of stretching and twisting you can do yes. when you start changing numbers. Right. Um, this one, I do think there may be something there. Uh, it's not something I'm going to be dogmatic about, but I do think there may be something there to the idea of the Old and New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have two times with the royalty, and then you have the priesthood representing both with the 24 uh, and so forth. So I think there may be something there, but the main thing for me is the 24 uh, orders of the priest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that really brought it together for me. All right. Well, I appreciate that then. You got uh, any notes of anything that maybe I was wrong about or any of that kind of stuff? No, I didn't say no. I mean, I have my notes here, but no, I didn't see anything. I didn't see any heresy. Didn't hear anything that made me scratch my head. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll mention 
on the uh, the innumerable multitudes. I think any, anybody who's at this point not quite on board, that's probably where they're stra- you know still straining at. Uh, yeah. Is that with them? What I believe for anybody that has a question on it is, and this is a whole like I could do five of these different videos to get you to fully understand what I'm getting ready to say. So don't feel bad if you still don't follow me. Uh, I do believe the book of Revelation should be read. So by the time you get to chapter seven, you feel like you have read through the timeline one time already, but from a very zoomed out perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I know that's not popular because most people think that it's the seals, then the trumpets. And then when you do the vowels, you get your first repeat. I actually feel like that it's being done telescopically over and over again so that each of those sets of seven is a zoom in to something. Uh, so the first set of seven to me is a very broad view of the whole timeline of prophecy. Uh, and so that's why by the time you get to chapter seven and you're getting there to the end of the seals, you've actually seen everything. Uh, and I do believe that that's just representing all of those uh, saints receiving their glorified body there towards the end of everything. Uh, and then, and again, it's something that I want you, you see them appearing in. So it could just be that it's representing them appearing throughout the tribulation. I'm not going to argue about the semantics or details of it. Uh, and there's little things I see that point me to that. And then if you're still like saying that idea, if I lost you, what I believe going into the next step of tribulation is that when you get to the seven trumpets that you're focusing on just the past, just the last three and a half years. Uh, but what you're doing is you're looking at it from a very cold and distant view. And that's why he says this happens and a half of this dies. This happens and a half of this dies. It's a very, you know, looking at it from space kind of view. Uh, whereas then when you get to the vowels, you're still looking at the same time period, but you've zoomed in to really see it from man's perspective uh, in the sense that you're seeing what happens. And now you're seeing cause and effect. And the main thing he's focusing on is instead of, and this happened and this many people died or this happened and this many, whatever was destroyed. He's actually saying this happened and still men did not repent. This happened and still men did not repent. So you're getting a view of it with but for, with a completely different perspective and a completely different point. So it's like as you have a telescope and you're stepping it out each time, your your view is narrowing, but you're getting a more you know fixed and uh, magnified view of something else. Uh, and that's what I think Revelation is doing. And I think that you're actually going through. Uh, by the time you're done, you've actually read over the last three and a half years three times. But you know, mm-hmm. all of it's wrapped up in mm-hmm. one seal when you're doing it on the seals. Right. Uh, or one or two seals, or three seals technically if you count seventh. But uh, so, anyways, that's just for anybody that maybe still has some struggling thoughts on. Uh, okay, then what are the uh, innumerable multitude and all this kind of stuff? I do think that it lines up perfectly so that they are the tribulation saints. Uh, now, if you don't believe a lot of people are getting saved in the tribulation, you're gonna have a hard time with that because right. uh, that's usually uh, the people who don't want to buy it. That's their argument. Is why well, I don't believe that many people is gonna get saved in the tribulation. But I mean, my Bible says that, you know, did not say God's hand short to save by many or by few. Right. So uh, I, I can hold out for tr- trusting that in the tribulation, he also can save a number that I cannot count. So right. I, don't, I don't trust his ability to save to be you know, shorter than what I can count. Uh, all right, then I think we've uh, actually achieved, you know, getting what needs to be said in this video. If you've got anything else you want to bring out, I mean, you're welcome to do that. But no, otherwise, I, think you've covered it. I think you've covered it very well. All right. You don't have to weigh in on whether I lost you on any of my other prophecy. (laughs) You can try out on that another time. Uh, But uh, I appreciate you being a part of it, brother. I know it's a very busy time for you, but I appreciate you joining and doing this. Uh, I encourage everybody who watches the video to leave your own grade. Uh, you know, to go ahead and say, I mean, if you, you have your thoughts, leave you know, your opinions about it, go ahead and leave those in. 
Uh, you know, put them in the comments. Let us know what you think about the the stuff. You know, maybe you think of a verse that we didn't think of. Maybe there's a uh, something that supports it, or even something that needs to be addressed that I didn't mention. Uh, be sure to leave those in the comments. I invite those. I'm not against that. Uh, don't I don't invite people to be contentious, but I invite people to want to have healthy discussion. Uh, but also leave your grade in the comment as well. And then uh, if uh, somebody shows us where we're wrong, I'll be glad to issue a correction on stuff. But uh, anyways, I appreciate everyone who's been a part of it. Suck around for the video. This is a lot longer than the other two we've done in the past. Uh, but I think this one has a little bit more profound effect on your doctrine. So it does need a little more time to take it in. So, all right. I thank you for being here and we'll go ahead and uh, close it out.